We'll be following Willie Moore and Moore. Back in the NRL. There's Willie Mays. That's forgotten how big Willie actually is. Perhaps the presence of Willie and the Panthers looking at his imposing frame. I'm a 25 minute man. Oh, you got skills, son. Uppercut right hand by Big Willie. Two fancy for that. It's pretty hard to impress me, William. Actually, it's not that hard, to be honest. You impress me all the time because you're so handsome. But it is impressive, the Black Book. The Black Book has provided us now with some pretty big names. And I don't reckon I have been as excited about a name, of no offence to everyone else, as the name we are about (laughs) to talk to now. Now, I grew up on a beach. I've been surfing my whole life badly. We have got world champion surfer Joel Parkinson. Yeah, he's uh, he's a really close friend of mine, and I think um, all sort of elite athletes have that mutual respect for each other. Surfers, rugby league players seem to get it on, seem to get it along. Um, you know, I've, I've been friends with him for about ten or twelve years, and he's always been a, a legend, dude. And I know we've been um, we haven't been struggling for content or anything like that. I just thought, well, you know what, we got we had GI on and Sammy Burgess, you know, Boydie Cordner. We've had enough of a uh, not enough, but like everybody loves rugby league, but people love Joel Parkinson they, and they love hearing other sports play, other sports talent as well. And he's a he's a great person, and I, I can't wait to give him a ring and just give him a, and have a good chat with him because honestly, like how many people can you ring up and just go, "Hey, mate, I'm just uh, I'm doing a, I'm doing a podcast. Do you mind just jumping on?" That's the sort of bloke he is. He goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when, what time?" I said, "Look, about seven o'clock on a Wednesday," and he's like, "Yeah, sweet." So yes. this isn't a J up. This is actual. It's Joe not a J up. I'll I'm give about, him a ring now. <laughs> let's get get him on. The, I'm putting the headphones on. Let's go. And he said he was having a couple too, so it should be fun. We're not. No. Your headphones are fucked. Well, mate. <laughs> Joel Parkinson, you legend. What's going on? Hey, not much, mate. I'm just at a friend's place for a uh, little birthday uh, dinner. Hope you're social distancing and all that shit, mate. I am completely social distancing. We are family friends. We've been friends for quite some time. Oh, and, beautiful. Um, yeah. Mate, I appreciate I'm you coming on, on, mate. I'm going to put it on the phone. I'm going to put it on the phone and say a little happy birthday. All right. Yeah. She's a bit of a legend. Oh, God. You'll know her. You'll know her. It's uh, Celeste Barber. Oh, okay. Yeah. What a legend. You know, yeah, Monica, my wife, Monica and her are really tight. So oh, wow. Her house. When social her, distancing's all over, we'll have to have a beer. We will, mate. We will. Mate, I um, appreciate you coming on the show, mate. Um, I've always been – I've done all the rugby league plays like GI and Sammy Burgess, Boyd Cordner, Minicello – I was just saying to our producer, uh, I was like, I said, I know Joel Parkinson pretty good. I think he might have a chat with us. And he's like, bullshit. I said, I'm, I'm pretty sure he will. So I sent that text out to you last week and I, I messaged our group message. I said, look, we've got fucking Joel Parkinson. They're like, bullshit. I said, no, mate, he's one of us. So he's, he's one of the boys. So he's, he'll, he'll love coming on. So I really appreciate your time, mate. I've got, a, I've got no, my I partner in crime, Ian Byrne. You guys are, it sounds like you're uh, enjoying your podcast and everything's going on with it, so it's good to hear. Mate, it's difficult. It's Ian Byrne here. It's difficult not to enjoy it when we just sit here and, and talk shit and drink beers and meet great people, so it's really not that hard. But 
what I what I'm interested <laughs> in doesn't really change, mate. Look, this is what we used to do on a Wednesday night, anyway. To be perfectly honest, it's just now we're sitting in front of microphones. We are we're in the east at the moment in in, in Sydney, and we got banned from the beaches from surfing for a period of time. It's it's opened up again now. What was it like up there? Were you able to surf on the Gold Coast, or was that did that get taken away with all the COVID stuff as well? Um, no, we didn't actually have surfing taken away. We had like beach hangout days that were, were taken away, which is which is uh, a lot of it. We do 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 big beach hangout days, and uh, like you know, we're certainly the ways of fun at Snapper Rocks. You'll sit down with the fam, you'll. You might surf, have lunch, surf again, have a beer. Kind, it it may lead into a few hours. So our beaching out days got got taken away, which we can understand. But everyone had to sacrifice something, or or more so. Um, but yeah, the actual surfing side of things and the fitness side of the being in the water was not taken away, but but definitely on the beach was. Yeah, they've they've opened it up again now, but it was sort of weird because surfing really. It's not. It is a form of exercise, obviously, and there's a lot of blokes that can just, a lot of people that can just, all their bodies up for now is surfing instead of any other form of exercise. So it was a bit weird for a while having that taken away. Well, mate, I tell you what, though, now that unemployment's at ten percent, there was dead set. There was three hundred people on the water. There was no social distancing. <laughs> guys stuck and falling on top of me, doing everything. It was, it was full on. So snappers, it, snappers. It basically, looked like an origin oval for six hundred meters. <laughs> Snapper's got to be the most crowded break in the history of the world anyway. Yeah, it's, a, it's a worst. Oh, mate. Uh, let's just talk about your career for a little bit, Parco. Um, you're 12 years on the WSL. You're 39 now. You won 11 events, nine tour events. You run her up four times. I was speaking to Bur- uh, Burnsy just before. That was, all, was, that all to, was that all to Mick Fanning four times? No, shit, no. I was going to say, you would fucking want to kill him, wouldn't you? No, but there's, 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 there's two people. Like, if they didn't exist, if they weren't ever born, there was Kelly Slater and Mick Fanning, I probably would have had a few more. Yeah, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, no, but... Um, there's some pretty handy surfers to come just, second, They were too. phenomenal through, through my era, so... What was your... Um, like, you won it in 2012, finally. Uh, so, would that would that be your career highlight? I mean, you've, I've, I mean, I could go for a shitload of things here, but, like... That would have to be the crown in your in your jewel, wouldn't it be? Yeah, I, I guess so. It was my long term goal um, for for a dedication of a career yeah. was to be uh, a world champion, um, and it's a single handed sport. You know, it's it's a different kind of concept to any team sport. So it takes a lot of things falling into place for for one solo to do that and now it was I was lucky enough to do it that year yeah um, but there, there is a couple of other little things that I'm just as proud about through my career that I that I got to achieve um, through certain places and, and achievements that still to me resonate just as much as a, sometimes as a world title but a world title definitely takes the glory is being on this podcast one of those things that you're talking about this would have to be a highlight yeah, easily Mate, with um, you talked about sort of surfing being a one-out sport, and obviously it's the achievement of the individual. Did you find it hard? Obviously, you went to school with Mick Fanning, or, or at least have been friends with him for a long time, and so there was that rivalry, I guess, that happened between the two of you when Will was playing Origin or playing Grand Finals or whatever. He was playing against his mates, but it was in a team environment. Is one-out difficult? Like, do you start to dartboard with the bloke you're up against, or is it does it is it, does it get a bit intense with that when it's such a good friendship as well? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess to put it in perspective, there for me, like yeah, like growing up in the same little town as Nick and, and Dingo too, and there was a few other great surfers. Damon Hardy, we grew up in this little town, and yeah, we would compete against each other and surf against each other, and everything we did was a rivalry and a freaking competition. It was just a. I guess it was this cheeky kid style competitive environment where it had to be done better and like who was better and who had better surf and who done those little those little um, competitive healthy competitive environment I guess is what you'd say. But we just thought I never forget Rabbit Bartholomew, a world surfing champion, nineteen seventy eight, the legend of, of Rabbit told uh, told me, I remember at fourteen, myself and Dingo oh, there's a bunch of you kids on every corner around the country. And we were just like, we we thought the, only, the world lived from Snapper to Kira. <laughs> and so I was just like, oh, jeez, I'm 14, thinking every kid around the country and then every kid around the world um, surfs this good and they've got a bunch of Rat Pack mates that surf this good and then they're trying to beat each one and it's the same way. You, know? you just think that that's the, that's the nature of the world. Okay. Um, Jolly, and, you know, and then it relates into what it leads into. All right, mate. Um, let's just wind the clock back about twenty years. You would have been about eleven, and I would have been about the same age. Like, just say, playing a rugby league player, you've been a surfer up at Nambour, and I'm just back in Toronto and Newcastle. You know, uh, trying to be this elite. There's a there's obviously pathways uh, for rugby league players in Australia to go. Okay, well, it's all attainable goals to get to the NRL. As you just said, like this guy um, Bartholomew dude just told you, there's a he's got a rat pack on every corner. Like, did you like what was what was the road to being and to getting to that age, and then all of a sudden going, hang on, I can be an actual pro here. Like, I could. What, what were you, 14 or 15 or 16, when the penny sort of dropped and go, hey, I'm one of the best in the world at my age because all we have to do as rugby league players is be the best in our age in Australia. Like, you could be this. This rat pack at Cooley as a 12, 13 year old, and then there could be someone in Brazil or Hawaii or America. Like, when did you find out? And you're like, fuck, boys, we can do it. Because I know Ding well, I know Mick Fanning well. You three blokes were just, you were all coming coming up. Like, when did it drop to go, all right, fuck, let's, let's, let's take this shit professional? Uh, probably not until I was about 18. Yeah. Probably a bit later. And like, I was 18. Um, I, I had just went in a, um, I, I went in a, I got a wild card to one of the big events at uh, Jeffrey's Bay in South Africa. And, um, yeah, and I, uh, first heat, I take on world number one, Sonny Garcia. And then, then I, I guess from there, I went on and I ended up winning the event, which wild cards weren't meant to do, you know, 18 year old kid against, you know, 30 year old. Yeah. Front rower, I guess you'd say, <laughs> the scariest human in surfing. He was just a beast, and here I am. I just took them out, and and then um, the following eight months later, nine months later, Mick goes on and does it at Bell's Beach as an eighteen-year-old kid goes and takes everyone out. You were the youngest to win a world title for a while, for not a world title, but to win a, an event, weren't you? Yeah, 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 for sure. And then Mick did the same. I think Mick and I, and then all of a sudden, I was like, holy crap! But Maybe it's not a fluke that you know we we kind of seem to be winning things, and next thing you know, uh, I guess the the world went on from there. And I, I I don't know, you know, you 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 set a desire for yourself as a kid and to to win, and I'm yeah, I guess yeah, you I'll, you I'll, do that, and and it's it's a natural path for you to want to win, and as as a 
as a sport or whatever you're in. Yeah, I suppose like just being younger and just being a young, a young footballer and having goals and wanting to play, you know, state of origin and wanting to play for Australia and every everything like that. What were you doing as a teenager kid? You know, growing up in Nambour and Cooley and stuff like, were you dreaming of holding a world title up? Were you dreaming of winning pipe? Were you dreaming of so all that? Far from Curly. Nambour's where I was born. I know, place. I know. Yeah. I just looked at. It, I said, "Where the fuck is Nambour?" And it was like <laughs> right Nambour, in. It's in, in, way, inland. Way, no, it's inland of Sunshine Coast. Like, aren't you from fucking Cooley? God damn it. Anyway, Cooley, we'll just say. A young kid from Cooley, 14, 15 years old. Were you dreaming of winning bells? Were you dreaming of winning pipe, chopu, all that kind of stuff? Like, Because as a young rugby league player, all I wanted to do was win an origin and win grand finals. What were your goals? Yeah, my, my, honestly, mine was to win a world title. I, I thought, yeah, wow, could be world champ. I want to be world champ. I, I, there was no, no time and desire of winning each individual event. It was to be... The winner of the year, um, yeah, there was uh, there was definitely events that as as I ran into events later on and realised my strengths and my weaknesses. But as a kid, I just went mad to be a world champ. I didn't know if I was going to be a good, you know, good at Chopu or good at Fiji or good at J Bay in South Africa or Snapper Rocks in Australia or Pipeline. You didn't know where your strengths was going to be. But as I got later in life, I. I really tried to play on the strengths. Yeah. But back in those days, I guess before the internet, sort of when I started started surfing in the early 90s and there was the only way you could find out about surfing, it was almost a niche market. There were magazines, there was Australia Surfing Life and things like that and there was no – all of a sudden surfing became a mainstream event and everybody loved it and everyone talked about it and all of a sudden – I guess the events were always at their traditional spots and then all of a sudden they start to move into cloud break and chopes and things like that. I mean, the, the sport changed so dramatically whilst you were going through your like through your career. Did you notice a massive change in terms of, I guess, exposure and in terms of better surf breaks and things in the world title while you were, while you were going through it? Definitely, because at that point they'd been putting bums on seats in – Mediocre waves around the world, like you know, in beaches yeah. that weren't great. Huntington Beach, for instance, they yeah. could get you know thousands of people to the beach, and then once the internet started, we realised we could get the same audience online at locations, and that was through a very couple of smart guys that did this that that system. Um, Rabbit that I mentioned before put the dream tour together. Where, oh my god. You can sit at home and watch us online in some crazy waves, and the way it went, and it, it definitely that's just stimulated everyone to to watch the world tour at that point. Because I mean, basically, you can have the best athletes in the world, and surfers are athletes. If you've got you know a team of footy players, you can play them anywhere. You can play them on a park football oval, or you can play them in you know in front of on Suncorp in front of fifty thousand people. It's still the same quality, but surfers need the the waves, you know, to. So we do. changing yep. that That's very around is... But it's saying that, you know, there's one thing I really, I mean, and this side of me, no disrespect, but I get, well, I got waves today and I had a great surf and I got to push myself. You know, I, I still love the solo aspect of surfing. I love sport. I freaking miss live sport. And then today I went for a surf and I had the best surf. I had a couple of guys down this one spot and I just went, oh, that was awesome. It's unreal, eh? And I um, thought about it and I just, I got my... I got my, you know, my blood bubbling just over that, and I was, I'm, I'm very thankful for the sport I, I picked and what I got to do because, you know, it doesn't take, um, you know, I don't need gratification later in life now. It's, it's satisfaction is, I guess, what I chase. 
Yeah. With with I mean that's one thing that I've always sort of found really strange. Like with football or with team sports, you grow up playing a sport and you know that it's a sport. But you grow up surfing because you love the ocean, you love being out in the water. At, at what point does it sort? Did it ever lose its appeal from a surfing perspective? Because all of a sudden it's a business. You're you're living or dying to some respect as a professional surfer on your results and things like that. Did, did that take any of the enjoyment out for you or, or do you still just get as frothed as ever just going for a surf? Yeah, good question. That is a very rarely asked question I've had. And I'm hey, sure. nice one. Yeah. That's what three that's, beers on a Wednesday night really does true. for you, Joe. Um, yeah, for sure. Definitely. When, when At a point of, of at my peak and, and being there, and, I, and I'm sure that any other surfer that's won world titles or multiple world titles would probably say the procedure of going through it isn't as satisfying as satisfying as the I guess the 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 natural flow of just being a surfer. Definitely. Yeah. I I think being a surfer is just a is just such a uninstincted way of life and, and being but being a world champion has got to have a protocol and a, a procedure to do it. Yeah, because, I mean, that's the whole thing. You know, you talk to Will about he just loved playing footy, you know, and so he would go out and, and, and he'd be on this big stage playing the game that he loved and that was just a natural progression. Whereas for you, when you're training for surfing, you're surfing. Do you know what I mean? So it's the same sort of – sure. Like the more you surf, does it – when you were training, obviously there was a, a lot of sort of cross sessions that you would do and, and I think – the way that surfers approached the sport changed a lot as well with a lot more fitness and a lot more rather than just, you know, off off the beach stuff as well. But did you just surf to get better as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. In my younger years, for sure, I just surfed to improve, work on technique, placement, line, draw, um, flow, board, everything. Like the, the elements to it is, Ted said, it's a golf club. With wind, weight, um, it, it's it's endless. Like you, you're working with a board shaper, you're working with a board. The wind changes, it goes cold. The humidity change, all, all these different things. Like there's a million different things. It's surfing is, I think, more technical in equipment than golf and water placement wow. and and trying to feel like you know V bottom, concave bottoms. All there's a million different things that have variabilities at different wave positions. And it's, you, I still feel like today, I guess, you experiment. You find a new feeling on, on a surfboard and a new line you've drawn or a new placement in a wave you can get to. Right. Um, how much? I'm sorry, talking technical, no, but how much it definitely goes there. It's, um, it happens. How much uh, say... At um, an elite level, I think, you know. How much say did you have in your boards? Like, obviously, you, oh, you surf with JS mate, and... Oh, my tons. Tons. That's what is key. Like, you know, sometimes you would do. So I do sometimes. I think my most boards I did. I did about 127 boards in one year. What? So that's one every two days. Wow. I, I was. I mean, one. That was two a week. I was doing sometimes, and I'd grab one, three waves on it. No shit. Grab another one. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. Put that one in. Like you know, I'd mark A, B, C on a if they were good where I thought and then I'd rewrite them and find out where if A was A or B was B or you know put all back 
I've gone A to Z and I'm still shit. So it's probably not the board, I think. It's yeah, no, no. Well, now, now I can fucking barely get one and I'm pretty happy with just getting one. <laughs> Mate, I was just – let's take it back to I – think, I think Kelly Slater, he gets a little bit of a – a weird sort of rap with with all you surfers. Do you reckon he changed the whole perception and you know professionalism when it comes to surfing, when it comes to nutrition, and and all that kind of stuff? Dieting. He was he was that sort of that dude that was wasn't really part of the boys sort of group, but he was the one that was number one in the world. And he sort of changed everybody's perception. Late nineties, the whole two thousands into being all right. This is what you need to be as yeah, a surfer. And you guys sure, were the mate, bi- you guys were the byproduct yeah. of that because you turned into professionals. Where guys like no, Matt Hoy and Bo Bo Emerton were fucking nuts. About I, I honestly, everyone always asks me a question with negativity. I feel yeah. with him, but mate, there's not much negativity. Honestly. Yeah, the guy's got a different lifestyle to yeah. to most of us, and I understand that. I mean, yeah, sure, he's not Willie Mason. You know, he's running at people all day. He's Thankfully, a completely different, humble man. And yeah. I'm not going to say he's a better man than you, Willie. But he's up there. Man. He probably would be. <laughs> I can play that for you, Jolly. He's definitely. He's not. Jolly knows that, mate. <laughs> no, he's a better man than Chris Walker, I can tell you. Oh, way better than Chris Walker. <laughs> no, but mate, he's a great man, and I, I can't, I can't fault him. He's, How much did he influence your career? A hundred percent. He's he's incredible, human, incredibly human. You beat him in the in the Triple Crown, which I mean, pe- people don't probably know what the Triple Crown is unless they're surfers, but the Triple Crown is such a massive deal and you won it, was it three years in a row? Jolly. Yep. You there? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. sorry, mate. The, the, the Triple Crown's such a big deal, you know, in the surfing world and you won it, Was it, I think it was three times in a row. That must be one of your proudest moments too, to go back to where the home of surfing and, and to perform like that for that amount of time. Yeah, definitely. You know, that's what I was saying before. There's a couple of things I'm very proud about. You know, Triple Crown's one of them, but also, like, to win in every venue in Hawaii, you know, Pipeline, however, and Sunset are the three biggest stages in in surfing. And uh, when I was lucky enough to be a champion on all three stages, there was only only ever... um, Two other people that had done it that were not Hawaiian. I was Sonny Garcia had done it a few times, but I, I, you know, there was two people before me that got done it over forty years. So it was it was a pretty cool achievement. Uh, I had been done for about twenty years. Wow! And I was really lucky to be able to to, to stand up there to, at that point and I guess be, you know, feel like I'd I'd had a bit of culture with it. Were you still thinking about the world title at that stage? Like, was that something that you thought at the time, yeah, this is great, but I still, that world title still burns him, you know, I really want that still? Sorry, mate, I missed that one again. <laughs> That's all right, mate. I was just saying, even when you won those triple crowns, did, was it still burning in, uh, you had that burning desire to, to still win that world title? You still had that in the back of your mind? Um, yeah, in a way, because I'd had a couple of runner-ups to uh, Andy Irons at the time, so I was pretty keen to to, to do it. So uh, the desire, and especially with watching Andy win his, definitely. Mate, um, let's talk about your mindset. When you're going at the Chopu and Pipeline and all these crazy, crazy waves that I see, that I shit myself. You've actually tried to teach me surfing a couple of times. I'm fucking awful. 
And like I consider it, like rugby league players and surfers have a mutual respect for each other. Like you look at us playing Origin, and we're like, you're like, I wouldn't do that. And I'm looking at you surfing waves. I'm like, don't even fucking take me out in the boat with that sort of stuff. What is your mindset in preparation to heading out, knowing that Mother Nature is you're at its Mother Nature's beck and when you're doing pipeline and chopu. And if you fall off. You could you're under the water for a minute plus. Like, at least I know if I run the ball, I'm not going to get. I'm going to get hit. I'm going to get back up. What's what is your mindset? I always wondered about that because it's not fucking normal. That that's coming from the man who loves a good hit. Yeah. <laughs> How much do you love a good hit? I love a fucking hit, mate. Mark, <laughs> I, 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 that's the same way. I mean, I I love to make one just as much as you love to yeah. absolutely even shit on one too. Yeah, but what, how does how do you prepare for it? I mean, like you're watching the waves, you're sitting on those little boats, like at Chopil, especially like that's all the waves that I see, and all the um all the footage that I see. What are you thinking there when you're seeing everybody getting smashed? And there's like uh, Joel Parkinson, you're up. You just got to um, just live it and just go out there, or what? Like, no, no, I'm the same way you do. Just do it. You yeah, just got to fucking do it, isn't it? Yeah, it's almost like you. I don't know. Good question. I have no idea. But it does, yeah. That's what I'm saying. If people don't eat. on the other end, though, like when you absolutely eat it, I guess it's bad and all, and it can go really, really bad. But yep. yeah, happy to live through it sometimes. Yeah, that's because I look at all your most most of your surfing and everything that you've done, your career. I'm like, wow. You could possibly, and I, and I obviously don't think that goes through your mindset. Otherwise, you wouldn't get to anywhere near near where you've been, or Mick Fanning, or all the all the legendary surfers. But it's a, it's a different mindset. People are built different. Let's talk about your life after after your retirement. You've got some good sponsors with, with Billabong and you got you're into that you're in a business with Bolter Beers with Mick Fanning and Josh Kerr. We're drinking stone and wood at the moment, so Bolter wouldn't look too bad here. Mate, I tell you what, definitely. <laughs> Mate, what about no, your life? You've, you're <laughs> you've gone from professional surfing to owning a brewery. I don't think there's too many people that can say that they have done the double with that. Are you official beer taster or how did that come apart? Oh, well, Mick's a janitor, so I got the better deal. <laughs> 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 no, I, mean, I, I yeah, was lucky enough to, you know, we, we were lucky enough to, with Balter, we, um, we, Started such a great little fun brewery, and it's um it's such a great brewery. Like everyone there today still treats it like their own, and it's it's amazing. Like it, it really is one of the coolest things I've ever been involved in. Oh, cool! What have you had have you had as much involvement in beer tasting as you did with getting your boards right with the shapers? No. I'm hopeless with that. I'm hopeless with that. <laughs> Mate, uh, let's talk about, obviously, your life after footy. There's a lot of, there's thousands of kids on the coast that love surfing. They love Mick Fanning. They love Joel Parkinson. What sort of what sort of role do you have in the community there with, with mentoring these young kids and sort of, I'm not sure if you personally coach them or, because they've obviously looked up to you guys. Now you're retired. Do you have time for those kids? Do you, do you, are, you are you in the community? Are you helping all these young kids out? I'm sure you are. Apparently, I, I just drop in on people. That's all I've been told. But yeah, apparently that's all I do. Oh. I I find it hard to surf in a in a crowd at the moment. And yeah, it's it's really hard. Um, we have such big crowds up here. Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling at the moment. We definitely with surfing with the crowd. Mate, we know that you're a massive NRL fan because you have you you uh, put a little bit of money into the Titans. How how'd that come out? <laughs> 
Fuck you, Michael Searle. Was that it? <laughs> you hate the Titans. I think that was Chris. That was you <laughs> hanging around with Chris Walker for a couple of a couple of little sessions, and he fucking turned you. Mate, I still love NRL. I watch most games I can. Yeah, except the Titans. Except for the Titans games. And, and you know what? You know what? That Michael Searle was the inspiration to the Titans. Yeah. And I, I, I believe he got screwed over by the NRL hard. Yeah. Like, terribly hard. And the Titans in particular, they hammered him. Hammered him. It's a and weird sport, mate. At least we're back on board now. You know, the NRL's back yeah, at training. I'll tell you so. right now, one day, I'm, hopefully, well, the truth will come out from what happened with the Titans. I oh, know. Don't worry about it, mate. It's all negative shit. It does. I can't yeah. wait for the day that I will get <laughs> Anyway, mate, I really appreciate your time, Parker. I know that you're you're busy there and you're at a party. Tell Celeste Barber I said hello I'm, and tell your I'm beautiful wife and kids. Thank you so much, guys. And uh, hopefully, I wasn't too. No, mate. Too much crap. All good. We'll, uh, Thanks, mate. Next really time I'm pre- on the coast, mate, I'll give you a ring. We'll have a beer. Uh, I'm coming much. to that too. Bye. See you, mate. <laughs> no worries, Cheers, bye, Parker. Yeah. Bye, mate. See you, bye. pal. Bye. There we go. Well, Will. yeah. There we the go. black book is open I, again. I have basically just fanboyed you Joel Parkinson. No, I'm sitting here. I'm like, you're asking legit proper good questions. I'm like, no, I'll lay in the cut and go, Hey, I'll just ask you a little bit about your mindset and stuff like that. So he actually had to fucking sit back and think. He's at a party. I know what goes on at parties. He had to think. <laughs> he had to fucking think. He's sitting back going, shit, he just hit me from the side. It's probably more to do with the party oh, than my questions. Mate, I, think. I think the party, I think the, the bit of silence was great. Um, mate, he's, he's just one of those He's one of those guys, man. He's just a knock-around bloke. He's no different than anyone else. He was just really, really good at what he did. You know, he's doing some great things with Bolter and, and all the young kids up there. I know he didn't elaborate on what he was doing, but he's got his own surf schools and, and everything like that because everyone wants to be Joel Parkinson and Mick Fanning. You know, there's only – you, you obviously do. I'd rather be Joel Parkinson <laughs> than Willie Mason. But he's, he's one of the great guys and one of, our, one of our true legends in sport. I'll be following Willie more and more. Back in the NRL is Willie Mason. I've forgotten how big Willie actually is. Perhaps the presence of Willie – the Panthers looking at his imposing frame. I'm a 25 minute man. Fuck. Oh, you got skill, son. Uppercut right hand by Big Willie. Too fancy for you. You've been listening to The Take with Willie Mason and co-host Ian Byrne. Produced by Craig Trewick, recorded and engineered by Zig Parker of Green Room Sydney, and presented by the Handshake Media Network. 